Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. The meetings industry is experiencing the five stages of grief, and a lot of them are stuck in denial. We need to fast track that psychological process to get to the final stage, which is acceptance. That's the advice of Kevin Iwamoto, a longtime industry consultant and now the chief strategy officer for meetings technology provider, Bizly. I talked to Kevin recently about what planners should be doing now to plan for COVID-driven realities that will reshape live events for the long term. So what I'm seeing right now are people that are at various stages of the five stages of like grieving. You got a lot of people stuck in denial. You have a lot of folks that are in the angry mode. You've got a few folks that are in the acceptance mode mm-hmm. and very, very few that have gone on to like, let's, I, I've thought this through. I've accepted the change. Now I'm planning for how to accommodate those changes, right? So you've got various people in various stages of that whole cycle of uh, grieving and acceptance, right? But <clears throat> what, what, what I've recommended to people is <clears throat> you've really got to take a look at, you can't be stuck in the pre-COVID days because I, I think the, the CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesney said it the best, those days are gone mm-hmm. and they're coming back anytime soon. So you need to accept that the way that we conducted business, the way that we gathered, way that we strategized and organized in a pre-COVID world just does not exist anymore. So the first stage is accepting that if, if your plan is to wait this out and go back to where we were pre-COVID, mm-hmm. right. that you're going to be waiting for a very, very long time and you probably won't even have a job at that mm-hmm. point, right? <clears throat> the better thing to do is to really accept the fact that we have to move on and in this new world, we have new considerations that we have to factor in. It's almost like really self-reflecting and realizing that the way that we did that business, whether we like it or not, is going to have to change into a new way of doing business, whether you're a manufacturer, whether you're a service provider. <clears throat> it, it affects every business, every executive, every employee. It affects everything, yeah. right? Because you, you, the freedoms that you had, the things that you took for granted, all of those things now are going to have to accommodate COVID to, in some way, shape, or form until there's the whole world gets vaccinated to reduce the severity of COVID. We can only control what we control. So what is that control? That control is how we currently do business how to reimagine how we do that business and how do we reposition because of those of COVID. And that's what really people should be focused on. And one of the worst things you can do, and I've said this in, in smaller gatherings of meeting professionals is the worst thing you can do is to try to, you know, now that everything, the majority of things have moved into a virtual world, the worst thing you can do is just take what you did in the pre COVID world 
and insert that in a virtual environment. That is the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Why is that? It's because that doesn't work so well in a virtual environment, right? So you really need, and the problem is a lot of the people in our industry really did not accept virtual. They kind of rejected it, mm-hmm. right? Because what we do is people-to-people gathering. The whole expertise and strategy was built around people-to-people inner human interaction. So when you meet virtually, you have new challenges that you need to kind of factor in and consider in terms of keeping people engaged. Yeah. How do I get maximum participation virtually with over 100 people online? You know, do I have to take a break? You know, is the attention span of individuals in a live environment, which is 18 minutes, right? That's what TED Talk mm-hmm. taught us, right? right? It's like maximum human attention and focus is like 18 minutes max. Anything beyond that, you're losing them. Every minute that goes by, you're losing them, right? I dare say in a virtual environment, the attention span is even shorter. Yeah. And if you're going to go from one Zoom meeting to the next Zoom meeting to the other Zoom meeting, you're going to have to figure out a better way of optimizing participation, um, messaging, effective messaging that resonates within a shorter time frame, less than 18 minutes, mm-hmm. right? And retention of that information yeah. and an objective. So it, you, you really have got to take a look at how am I going to achieve my mission or strategy in a virtual world? And the dynamics are entirely different. Yeah. And I think people need to accept that, acknowledge that, and figure out how to reposition in a virtual world. It makes me think of how many times have you been on a Zoom meeting and someone is typing away, they're answering their every email, day. you know, yeah, and you're day, like, right? Kevin, and you've got, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and on some hands, you're also now competing with online distraction, right? So right. like it, what's going on in the Zoom meeting is not interesting to you. You could easily be just sitting there nodding your head and you could be on Facebook or you right. could be shopping online, you know, or at zappos.com. Looking right. for, oh, this is kind of neat. I'm going to buy this. And nobody right. would kind of know the better. I mean, right. because the younger the generation, the more accustomed they are to multitasking, right? right? So they're used to working several screens at one time and still paying some level of attention. Right. The big boomers have a harder time because we're not as multitasking-oriented mm-hmm. as the younger generation is, right? Mm-hmm. But now you're competing with the internet. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're in a face-to-face gathering and it's you're the speaker and there's the audience, it's kind of pretty, you, it, the tendency to multitask a little bit less, even though with the phones you can still do it. But there's some crowd guilt that you have by not paying attention, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're at home and on Zoom, it's a lot easier to just kind of get away with mm-hmm. that. So it's really kind of figuring out how to keep people engaged and offer and building a community online, which is so different than, you know, in-person gatherings. So I'll tell you what we've been doing. You know, we have so many hosted buyer events. So if the typical event is two days, we're doing them in in a half day. So we compress the schedule to half day. The appointments that would have been, you know, 18 minutes with two minutes to go to the next table are now nine minutes with one minute to go to the next table because you're just clicking. We'll limit it to like a segment of maybe four or five. So it's less than an hour. And then there'll be a half an hour education, not an hour education, you know, right? It actually goes quickly. And 
it almost feels in a lot of ways, it actually does feel in a lot of ways that we're getting the same thing accomplished. We're allowing yeah. people to make those connections. Yeah, I totally agree. But, but so. you're doing exactly what everybody else should be doing is really oh, accepting the change and right. accommodating for the change, right? And I still see, unfortunately, Lauren, I still see people just trying to replicate what they did physically in a virtual environment. And it just doesn't work. I think the first step is acknowledging that their attention span is going to be shorter. So like even webinars, for example, mm -hmm. right? Like, can you remember when webinars first came out? Like everybody was locked into a one hour format, mm -hmm. right? More and more webinars popped up and people started to compete for it, right? And you wanted to participate in multiple webinars. You know, now all of a sudden you're gravitating towards webinars that are 30 minutes or right. 45 minutes, right? So right. You, you can squeeze in another one. And the one-hour webinars became very painful to kind of sit through, right? So yeah. now the new standard, which I attribute to COVID and everything else going on in the, in, in, in the whole world, is shorter attention span. Mm -hmm. 30-minute webinars, right? The way we get people to to focus and pay attention has got to accommodate the limited attention span that people have online. So I think to orchestrate now uh, logistics that adhere to CDC guidelines for COVID is going to be very costly because now you have to factor in PPE and social distancing and screening and temperature checks and, you know, now instead of a room holding 300, now it can only hold 100. All of those things present a lot of challenges, right? Including how do you serve meals because you can't share utensils and the logistics and for planning for in-person gatherings has gotten even more complicated now because of COVID. And then you have to wonder, you know, like economies of scale, you know, where you're you're gathering with 7,000 or 1,000 people. What is realistic now with COVID? Probably half the number, mm -hmm. less. And then you're going to have to factor in some virtual participation component and coordinate that with the agenda. And, and those things just add additional layers of complexity and, and resources that you're going to have to accommodate. So just to have an in-person gathering is really challenging. And that's not even factoring in the folks who are germophobic or travel adverse because they fall into a high risk category, whether you're a speaker, whether you're an attendee, whether you're a team member, you know, on-site team member and stuff like that. You know, people have got to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody now can, we, we used to take travel so casually, right? It's like, oh, we have a convention in Dallas. Let's just everybody go hop on a plane and go. Mm -hmm. How do you have people saying, I don't think I want to hop on a you know, I don't care what guidelines and procedures the airlines put into place. I'm not comfortable flying on a plane, much less staying in a hotel for two to three days that I don't know whether they adequately sanitize the room and I might have to re-sanitize the room myself. You know what I'm saying? So you've got now people, until you get that fear factor of traveling to an event and staying there and participating in a large mass gathering, you know, even with masks and sanitizers, do you get people fully comfortable with, you know, possibly being exposed and possibly dying from, from getting exposed, you're going to have less participation. That's why I have to laugh when people say, well, well last year we did 5,000 people. Okay, but that's not even right. relevant. It's like a different world. 
Yeah. It's a whole different world. And you cannot use, you know, last year's baseline to kind of figure out what this year is going to be like, much less what next year is going to be like, you know what I mean? To today, the rule book has been thrown out. So much so for the be, meeting was, histories that everybody okay. is so meticulously keeping for their RFPs, right? The yeah, exactly right. Like, it's it's all the whole dynamics around right. RFPs, right? It's like, what are you really RFPing? Because, you know, even if you had like a million dollars worth of venue spend in in 2019, can you honestly say that that's your baseline for 2021? And for most companies today, it's still stuck. You know, yeah. they're not traveling, right? So even if you have a meeting or a gathering that requires travel, if the company has prohibited for health and safety purposes, no travel, you're not going to get somebody to attend. It's yeah. just not. And also right? it's a different experience. I mean, when I think about attending a meeting and, you know, wearing a mask the whole time and keeping yeah. my distance from people, I don't know yeah. how much that appeals to me. And I hate to say that because I do... I see the value in the face-to-face and I'm so hoping that we can get back there. But the experience that it would have to be now, uh, I think that's, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, in that case, I'd rather participate digitally. So what do you, what do you see happening with hotels, for example? Like that's, that's a really difficult question, you know, convention centers, what happens to these giant venues? I think they think that they still have a purpose of existence, but they're going to have to reconfigure and reposition um, the way that these gatherings take place. I mean, you know, paying attention to things that they normally didn't even factor in, like, you know, entry points to the convention center, right? We try to make it convenient so that you have multiple entry points. Right. So now you can't do that because if you want to regulate the crowd and you want to regulate, you know, the exposure and mitigate that, you have to kind of have some crowd control and you got to space them apart six feet and you got to figure out, are you going to do a temperature Mm -hmm. check? Are you going to do a background, Mm pre-background check? Registration has got to be like touchless Mm -hmm. unless, you know what I'm saying? So there's a lot more things that you really need to think through if you really want to try to even orchestrate like a, a gathering at a convention center or even a hotel, right? Because the hotels are going to be even more challenged because here's the thing with hotels. People are used to coming and going very freely, right? Multiple access points. They didn't have to worry about standardization of sanitation or potential exposure, you know, one another. In fact, they welcome that free-flowing people of guests that are staying at the hotel plus people from the outside coming into the Mm -hmm. hotel now they're going to have to rethink like you saw recently some of the major hotel chains have said mandatory mask wearing within the hotel right i mean that's one level of trying to get some type of control and since the overexposure potential exposure for but but now you're going to have to come up with really putting some thought into crowd controlling sanitization minimizing exposure from people who aren't guests of the hotel and imposing, you know, a a, a more rigid standard on the guests Mm -hmm. of the hotel, right? Like how many people can ride an elevator, for example, who put any thought about that? I know. Now, if you're limiting it, depending on the size of the elevator, if you can only get one or two people, imagine having a group of 100 or a thousand staying at your hotel and then only one or two people can ride the elevator to their hotel room. So you can, it's going to cause like a mass 
gathering, unintentional gathering in the lobby and in the hotel area with everybody six feet apart. I mean, imagine trying to figure out the logistics of crowd control and flow for something like that, right? Which is a common everyday potential occurring happening, right? Like I was talking to an association that's still planning on doing a mix of a hybrid as well as a live and and virtual Mm -hmm. participation. And I'm a speaker. And they've had to rethink every facet. I mean, they literally went from having a totally planned event, Mm -hmm. logistics-wise, to having throwing everything out and reinventing everything. Because it even comes down to, and I was talking to the lead uh, planner, and, you know, she was saying, like, even, like... Classes can't break at the same time because if they do, you're going to have mass exodus of people going from one room to another. So now you got to stagger sessions, right? I didn't think about that, but that's a great point. Well, and and you have to socially distance people in a room. Mm -hmm. So now instead of a table of 10, you have a table of three. Mm -hmm. So you might have to get a bigger space if you're going to have a bigger crowd. But then now you have to control the way they enter the room, the way they exit the room to allow for social distancing, which means you can't just say, okay, session done, everybody get up and head for the exit doors. Now you got to kind of stagger people so that you don't have a mass crowd situation. Mm -hmm. And then when they exit the room, where do they go, right? You have to have a big enough space where people can be socially distanced there. And then you kind of have to wonder to your earlier point, Lauren, like I may want to sit down and have lunch with you. I always like to sit down and have with you. But now if we're going to be six feet apart and we're yelling at each other, I mean, yeah. the quality of that lunch, as well as the, yeah. the opportunities to engage has become yeah. less personal. Because what if I want to tell you something a little confidential? I don't want to be yelling that to yeah. you, you know, six feet apart, you know? So you kind of have to rethink, you know, even the, the types of conversations and the kind of lunches that you want to have. You know, mm-hmm. at, Zoom at lunch. Nights. Zoom lunch is the safest. <laughs> Zoom lunch, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And we can show each other what we're eating so that we can you know yeah yeah i mean it's really it's a difficult position and i think i agree with you that a lot of people just don't quite grasp the scope of how much needs to change whether they want it to or not you know yeah yeah Um, and and, and i get a sense there's a lot of pent-up anger and frustration and i i get that because you know, uh, even for myself, it's it's really coming to grips with the fact that, you know, you could compartmentalize or you could isolate like what's happening and challenging things that are happening in your professional world and go home to a safe haven of a personal world with a spouse and a dog and, you know, kids or whatever that social world exists of, right? You can kind of like separate the two. Well, now there's no separation mm-hmm. because with COVID, you have to deal with it professionally, but you also have to deal with it personally. Mm-hmm. At different ramifications and different degrees of of adjustments that you have to make. So what, what people are feeling now, and I totally get this, is this level of frustration, sadness, and anger that they, there's no escape from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can escape from your professional world into your personal world, or you can escape vice versa from your personal world into your professional world. Now there is no escape because wherever you are, professionally or personally, it's there, right? Yeah. And you got to deal with it. And so I think people are really struggling with wanting to go back to their the, their life pre-COVID and accepting the fact that that life is not going to be acceptable or is not going to be there 
Yeah. Even COVID is done, right? People, things are going to have to change. I mean, mm -hmm. and and you can't really escape from it, you know, either personally or professionally. They kind right. of like have right. kind of blended together. And the sooner you accept it, and then and then take the the next step of figuring out what needs to change so that you can accomplish your business objectives and or your personal objectives, you know, yeah. like what do I need to do now is a better attitude right. than who can I blame? <laughs> you know? Or who can I protest to, right? Yeah. Because then you have to wonder, is that even a worthy effort to kind of, and you know, go through because, you know, you're dealing with something that is totally out of your control. And I think I wrote an op-ed about this uh, that was published in North Star, um, mm -hmm. where people like us who are very, you know, energetic and very much uh, in control of our domain and, and, and things that are happening have, have gone from that scenario to some dealing with something that is totally out of our control. Mm -hmm. And that's a, where a lot of successful business people have really struggled. It's like, I'm trying my best to deal with this, but how do I deal with something that I can't control? You know, yeah. this disease is something beyond governments. Mm -hmm. It's beyond countries. Yeah. You know, I, the, I, I have no level of impact other other than to wear a mask. Right. right? And socially distance and to wash my hands. Yeah. That's the level of control I have. Right. Well, Kevin, so how what do you... the best of that? Yeah. What, what a world you... where I had mm -hmm. more control over, you know? Right. What do you see as, you know, the, what's the future of the meetings industry? <laughs> what do you see in terms of the survivability of face-to-face -face meetings? I think, well, I, I know that it'll survive because yeah. as humans, we need that human-to-human -human interaction. And I think the meetings industry just brings out the best in, in people gathering together and collaborating and celebrating and learning and all of those things. So I think, you know, being a human being, that's just a natural part of our DNA. We we have to connect, right? The way we connect now in the COVID world is changed. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I and I do believe it's an it's a continued evolution. We will still need to connect uh, person to person, but we're gonna have to figure out a way to do that safely, right? Until there's a vaccine and everybody's inoculated. Yeah. Um, with that, there are things that you just can't take for granted anymore. We're just going to have to adjust to that. The, the events and things may be smaller. I think everything has moved more into a hybrid situation where if the events are going to be smaller, but you still want to optimize maximum participation, you're going to have to figure out a virtual component to it. So I think the world as we know it pre-COVID to now is definitely a hybrid, right? Like, so for example, at Bisley, We've been strategizing on, we, we feel based on the data and the surveys that a lot of associations and others have put out is the re-entry point to coming back to business is really smaller gatherings, local gatherings, mm -hmm. incorporating some level of virtual tech uh, interaction. And so we've kind of pivoted our platform to incorporate that, to acknowledge that that's the way people are going to be meeting. Yeah. And we need to kind of meet that challenge for them so that we can continue to provide them, you know, some value and a seamless experience and in orchestrating and facilitating and data gathering around a combined hybrid uh, virtual small gathering meeting, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
we've kind of been thinking about how can we kind of accommodate that. And I think a lot of companies have really got to start to think about how, how are they going to operate in, in a hybrid world where, you know, the gatherings, physical gatherings themselves might be smaller, mm-hmm. but you can still expand the audience to a larger audience by the virtual integration of, of technology and incorporating those people in, mm-hmm. in, into the meeting. So I think really for the, the long midterm and, possibly a longer term, you know, I think hybrid is going to be our new reality and we're going to all have to figure out the difficulty of the hybrid is the dynamics, logistics, and planning for live events plus hybrid events are very different. Right. So how do we bring those two worlds together and try to optimize the experience for everybody in the way that they're engaging and participating, Mm -hmm. right? But I think the first step is accepting the reality Mm -hmm. that Virtual is not an option anymore. It's now more compulsory. Right. Anything else to add? Um, yeah, wear a mask. I know, right? Over your <laughs> let's mouth. Stop politicizing. <laughs> let's let's not even politicize that. Just wear a damn mask. That's all I can say. I know. Crazy. It's not about you, it's about everybody around you. I know. And I think if there's any positive that's happened is it's kind of forced a lot of people to stop being so me, me, me mm-hmm. and to think about the well-being of others around us. And I think that is a good thing. I, yeah. If you want to put a positive spin on COVID, it's that it's really forced us into rethinking the way we live, the way we engage and making it more thoughtful uh, versus I'm going to do what I want because I can Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.